Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Progress made and top priorities for the Pentagon Chief Information Officer in 2023. It's Thursday, June 8th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. California Democrat Ted Lieu said Wednesday that later this month, he will introduce bipartisan legislation that would create an artificial intelligence blue ribbon bipartisan commission to make policy and legal recommendations on how to best regulate AI. Speaking to FedScoop at the AWS Summit in D.C., Lou said federal agencies need to be given the power and resources to better tackle the risks and concerns associated with AI, which he hopes a new blue ribbon commission could help with. The Pentagon is close to completing a major policy refresh that will set clearer requirements for how personnel are permitted to engage with software applications on digital devices, Defense Scoop reported this week. The revamp comes months after a Department of Defense Inspector General-led review spotlighted concerns and risks around DoD components' misuse of electronic apps on government devices, and days after the Pentagon was one of three agencies to introduce an interim rule prohibiting the presence or use of the Chinese-linked social media app TikTok on any equipment that connects with U.S. government systems. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. Halfway through calendar year 2023, the Pentagon's Office of the Chief Information Officer has accomplished quite a lot in a short amount of time, from early work implementing zero trust to first task order awards under the department's joint warfighting cloud capability contract. And there's much more to come through the rest of the year, according to CIO John Sherman, who delivered a keynote recently at Defense Talks 2023. Listen in to Sherman's progress update for his office so far in 2023 and what he sees as the way ahead. So let me walk through this past eight months or so. Now, the biggest thing I would argue that we've done is award the Joint Warfighting Cloud Capability Contract, the JWCC contract that we awarded on 7 December. This was a culmination of an incredible amount of work. After we pivoted away from the JEDI Cloud Procurement, which I know many of you are familiar with, which, as I said at AFCEA last week, and I'll argue this all day long, was the right decision at the right time that we move past that from a single award, single vendor approach to a multi-cloud, multi-vendor approach. And now with four world-class U.S. companies, with Google, Oracle, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft comprising the JWCC team. Now, as noted, we've already started to make our first task orders on this. The unclassified level, we've got over five secret task orders in there, and we're going to be moving towards top secret here soon. This is a huge deal for the Department of Defense to have enterprise cloud, building upon what the services have already done with their cloud efforts. And I'm very thankful for what they've done in the military services to be able to have those activities, as well as within DISA, to teach us and help us understand and become a cloud-conversant Department of Defense. But with JWCC, is a true enterprise capability like we've never had before. And this is a stunning accomplishment with tremendous work from DISA and other components within DOD to have this. The other huge accomplishment has been the promulgation of our zero trust strategy. On the margins of getting started here, I was talking to a number of folks here about our zero trust strategy. Mr. Randy Resnick, our zero trust portfolio 
management office lead who we brought in from NSA. Many of you in the room, I'm sure, know Randy or have met with him or seen what he's talked about. As we roll forward with zero trust, a real, really new paradigm of cybersecurity that assumes an adversary like the PRC or Russia or a non-state actor is already on our network, how do we defend against them in that, in that scenario? With micro-segmentation, with fine-grained access, with a new strategy and philosophy about how we're going to conduct cybersecurity. No longer just a moat and wall, not even just a fence in depth, but an entirely new way of conducting cybersecurity. And as laid out in that strategy, where we have 91 capabilities to get to what we call targeted zero trust by 2027, and already working with the DOD components, the military services, and others, as we're laying out this roadmap to get to 2027 to have targeted zero trust in place by that time, which is absolutely necessary to defend not so much our networks and systems, but really our most critical data. As we look at the seven pillars of zero trust with user, device, apps, and workload, et cetera, it's that fourth pillar about data that I really focus on. Those pillars are the NIST pillars, by the way, I think many of you are familiar with. But all of it matters so much. Another area, we talk about the technology with cloud computing, cybersecurity, but you all have heard me talk about in these forums and others about the people, the women and men who make up our workforce, civilian, military, in the Department of Defense across our broader enterprise. And we published earlier this year our cyber workforce strategy, which the Deputy Secretary of Defense signed out. It is so consequential to really redefine how we're going to identify talent, recruit that talent, retain that talent, and upskill that talent in a really 21st century context. I think I've told some of you all about this, the origin story of this strategy. It really goes back two years ago last month when I was testifying in front of the Senate Armed Service Committee Subcommittee on Personnel that Senator Gillibrand chairs. And as I was getting ready for that with the set of deep dives with my team that does cyber workforce talent, and looking at the 8140 policy series, cyber accepted service, targeted local management supplement, and all the other arrows in our quiver, and then I was going in front of Senator Gillibrand and her committee, I don't think I got the question directly, but I did intend to bring up why we don't have a workforce strategy. We have strategies on cloud, cyber, C3, I can go down the list here, but the most important element, the women and men who make up our workforce, that we need a very deliberate strategy. We had called it out in the digital modernization strategy, but I wanted that to be a standalone way ahead on what we're doing, and we have that now. It really is about getting a workforce that looks like America, tapping into every bit of our talent, because back to what I said about what's going on in Beijing or Shanghai or somewhere else, if we capitalize and get every bit of talent we can get out of this nation, there is no one who can stand up against the United States. No nation in the world that can. And we've got to get this right. But in a context that looks at all the diversity we can bring to the fight, a 21st century paradigm, maybe not one built on 30-year careers in the government, more fungibility and folks coming and going to and from industry, academia, and elsewhere with a lot of your organizations. And this is going to require a set of partnerships. And on that point, we also published the 8140 policy manual. Now, I know this gets a little wonky and a little bit in the weeds of the DOD processes, but this was a big operationalized aspect of the talent pieces that really resonated as well. Now, also, earlier this year, we published the Software Modernization Implementation Plan. 
the iPlan on this. Now, we had the software modernization strategy we put out over a year ago. Now we have the implementation plan. And by the way, we have a chief software officer in Rob Beatmeyer back up at the department level now. As we move out on this iPlan, and a lot of you are familiar with this, as we look at not only leveraging JWCC and our cloud capabilities, but looking at containerization standards, looking at our software factories, looking at how we clear obstacles to our amazing folks doing DevSecOps all across the software factories and across the broader ecosystem, moving from a hardware-defined enterprise to one that is defined by software. We can push out patches and updates quicker than an adversary can get into our networks. Think about a 21st century war situation like we're seeing in Ukraine and lessons we're learning out there to move to a software-defined enterprise and how important that is. Now, another major area, I know a lot of you in this room here work in information technology and cybersecurity, some in command, control, and communications. But in my role as the DOD CIO, C3 is a major part of my job. And one of the areas I'm very proud of what we're doing right now is leading a study as directed by Congress in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or the IIJA, to look at the lower three gigahertz band, 3.1 to 3.45, about how that band can be possibly shared or used for telecommunications purposes, but also, very importantly, making sure we can protect the homeland and also train our service members in the continental United States on air, sea, and land-based radars. I can't underscore how important this is, but also how much we benefit from having talent like Fred Moorfield, Vernita Harris, and other members of our C3 team working with the military services and others to look at this. As I've said often with my colleague, Alan Davidson, the head of the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA, we're in the same line of business to put China back on their heels. He does it from the economic side, we do it from the military side. And we've got to figure out how to best thread that needle to make sure we can protect our citizens militarily, but also make sure China is not setting 5G and XG standards. Very important there. Another area, we talk about the defense industrial base a lot. That's under my office's writ now for the past couple years, making sure we can work with the DIB as we look at services we can offer, standards we, we send out, and making sure as we look at the hundreds of thousands of companies that comprise the US DIB, how we can work, particularly with the small and medium businesses, but the large ones as well. I want to compliment our Chief Information Security Officer who set up a DIB Cybersecurity Executive Steering Group. I know that's a bit of a mouthful, and you say, why does that matter, John? Because there's over a dozen different organizations within DOD that reach out and touch the DIB somehow either providing services and input, providing oversight and governance, and also, I think if I was sitting where you were, getting different parts of DOD reaching out to provide information to me, you'd want some sort of coordination, consolidation, making sure you're getting the right answers, getting sure you're, making sure you're getting consistent answers. And that's what Dave is doing, is bringing these organizations together. So as we look at areas like the wonderful NSA Cybersecurity Collaboration Center, that Morgan, Morgan Ademski leads up at NSA, or the Defense Cyber Crime Center, DC3 working together, or the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency down at Quantico. Everyone rowing in the same direction. That's what we're working on there. And then another big area. As we look at the budget and what this office has that I have in CIO, where we put out consolidated planning guidance at the beginning of each calendar year as we do the budget builds on the key areas we want to see the services and components investing in 
in cyber, in IT, in C3, and elsewhere. And at the end of the calendar year, after the budget builds are in, but before things are submitted to the Hill, I have budget certification authority. I was just talking yesterday with my predecessor, mentor, and colleague, Mr. Dana Deasy, about this. And he said, John, how's that budget certification authority going? I said, Dana, it's going great. Because I'll tell you, this past year, as we did the 24 build, which is now down on the Hill, we sent out, I sent out some guidance that made the Branch Creek for one of the military departments. I'm not going to tell you which one, but they got a shot across their bow on this. There were two areas they needed to get funded, more so than they were doing. And there was one other military department that almost did. Now, I've got power to decertify an IT budget. We've got a $58 billion IT and cyber budget within the Department of Defense. Now, that is almost a nuclear option. I don't ever hope to see myself doing that. And if we've ever got to that point, that means something's gone off the rails a bit. But by goodness, I'm going to use that to make sure the right investments are getting made. And we're going to do it again this year. And I'll give you a little preview of some areas where my component colleagues had better be looking out for on areas like zero trust and ICAM. This is what we're going to drive to make sure Randy Resnick's strategy goals are being met. And that's what we've done in the past eight months. That's why I said this has been when I thought about, and I was so appreciative of Goldie's invitation to be here with you and the last time I was up on this stage, we have moved a lot of things along as a DOD CIO, but it's not enough. So as we stand here and on May 11th, 2023, I wanted to talk to you about what I want to see happening over the next number of months as we get through the rest of this calendar year. So first and foremost, I mentioned JWCC. We've got work orders coming in, about three dozen. Got a few that have been awarded already. Working the process. Yeah, we are computing them as IDIQs, working that process with DISA, making sure we can drive those timelines down. I want to hit the throttle on this. I want to keep moving even more so than we are on JWCC. I want to make sure this is true of that enterprise capability, and again, not only at unclass at secret, but as we get those TS capabilities, which is a first for the Department of Defense, which heretofore we've had to work through the IC, through commercial cloud enterprise, and that set of contracts to get that done. Also, I am so excited about what JWCC brings for OCONUS and the EDGE. I talked about the why and what we're looking at having to make sure we can do because of a conflict with China is neither inevitable nor desirable, and I want to emphasize that. But as we look at what our forces might have to do inside a second island chain in the Western Pacific, as a Marine Littoral Regiment and that stand-in force that General Burgers talked about has to go onto an atoll or island where our grandparents and great-grandparents may have fought 80-plus years ago, they've got to be able to have capabilities with compute, transport, and so on that works and is going to be there for them, and that's what JWC is going to help bring to that. On the cyber workforce, I mentioned the strategy. The implementation plan is coming out in about a month. And I don't think I'm making news here. I think Mark Gorak mentioned this up at AFCEA last week, around the first week of June. And just as I talked about with other implementation plans, this is going to bring kind of the, the grittiness, like the same as a software implementation plan, to be able to get to the details of how we operationalize these goals we laid out in the strategy. And again, I would commend you to take a look at that because this is going to be a real north star for us on talent. I mentioned zero trust. I mentioned we've got the strategy. We are in implementation way ahead of this already. Not only meeting with the services and components to talk about how they're going to pick their different three courses of action. Now, I've talked about this. I've talked about it's kind of a pick your own adventure. COA 1 is a brownfield approach. 
COA 2 is using the JWCC cloud capabilities, or COA 3 is a private cloud approach. And maybe some combination therein with the services and components. Because I've laid down the marker and the requirements, but I'm not going to tell the military departments and services exactly what path they have to take to get there. But by goodness, I want to see a POAM set of milestones and strategies as we move forward on this. And I'll be holding the team accountable on this. And that's what I plan to be doing here. I mentioned the defense industrial base, what we're doing with this executive steering group. We also have to get the cyber maturity model certification out the door. I've talked about in other areas, this has taken longer than I've wanted it to, but there is a measure twice, cut once approach with this, working with OGC and others to get this over to first the Small Business Administration and then to the Office of Management and Budget to get this into rulemaking. This is so important because it's going to affect a lot of companies as we implement, or not only implement, I should say, but hold accountable on 800-171 to make sure we can do this. And I know a lot of eyes are on this. A lot of folks out in the cybersecurity ecosystem are watching everything I'm saying and what we're doing on this. And by the way, when it does go into OMB rulemaking, I'm not going to be able to talk any more about it. So just as a little preview of that. But Stacy Bostronic and the team have been working their fingers to the bone on this. They're American heroes as far as I'm concerned. And we got to get this going here, working with our OGC colleagues, and we will. Now also, I talked about this spectrum study that Mr. Moorfield and Ms. Harris is leading, this 3.1 to 3.45 gigahertz. We have said and we're committed to getting this done by the 30th of September, staying in close concert working with our colleagues at NTIA in the Department of Commerce and other interagency partners at DOT, at DHS, and also a lot of some of you from the telecoms industry here with your companies that we brought into the PATHS process. I don't roll off your tongue because it's got two S's at the end. The PATHS process coming in at some time at the classified level to make sure we're looking at all the equities working with Capitol Hill, working with other stakeholders on this, and CTIA and others, to make sure that we are doing right by the American people, right by our warfighters, and making sure our industry, without bias or preference for any company, is able to dominate what we need to do here, and we're not answering to any PRC standards or other domination there. Now, another big thing that's coming up here at the turn of the fiscal year is, and I know you're going to hear from my colleague, Dr. Tom Rondeau, here this afternoon or sometime here this morning, on our partnership on 5G. The DODCIO organization is taking over the 5G lead for DOD on 1 October. That, we've already been working left seat, right seat with research and engineering on this. Very close, tight partnership with Honorable Shu and her team in R&E. But we've got the lead as of 1 October on the pilots, the 5G pilots that are underway at the numerous DOD installations, and also where we're going to take it forward. And something I'm looking at is looking at open radio access network or ORAN pilots at some additional installations here. So that could be a little bit of news y'all can make on this. As we're working with, again, a number of U.S. companies potentially on this, looking at multi-service installations, as we move away from a closed network, kind of black box sort of thing like certain Chinese companies like to do with their global marketing here, to more of an open network, open software approach that our U.S. industry can work and dominate on, and this is something that we at DOD can help catalyze. There's some due diligence we have to do on this, but I do want to move along on this, if at all possible. You can learn more about the DOD CIO's priorities at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher helped put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.